Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, where we can look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 509. What should somebody who's brand new to Royal Caribbean know before they book their first cruise? I've been thinking about this question a lot, and today I wanted to focus on the most important things that somebody who's brand new to Royal Caribbean should think about. Here we go. A Royal Caribbean cruise is, of course, a wonderful family vacation. I recommend to a lot of people any opportunity I have. And the saying of, you know, you don't know what you don't know is certainly true when it comes to cruising. A lot of first-timers make a lot of mistakes, and there are many things that are simply impossible to know until you go. I'm not talking about things like needing a passport or something that you could pretty easily look up, and that falls under, I think, more ignorance than anything else. But the bottom line is there are some things that simply, as new cruisers, if you're not armed with the information by listening to somebody else or reading a blog like my site or something like that, you're not going to have that information because it's not necessarily obvious and Royal Caribbean doesn't post it. Royal Caribbean does share a lot of information with cruisers what to do, but their experience is generally based on giving people just the facts, like the bare minimums to get them on board the ship. After all, everybody cruises differently, right? It's not like they're going to say, hey, by the way, do the online check-in and go check out this show, but skip this restaurant and do that. Like, they're never going to do that because, you know, obviously it's a very subjective experience and people do it all differently. Anyway, this is where I think, I like to think anyway, <laughs> that advice like this podcast come in. So I really started thinking about what are the important things that somebody who's booking for the first time really needs to know? Because there's plenty of things to be done before or after booking a cruise, but there are some really good things to consider prior to your picking your ship and your sailing. And I wanted to focus on that. So the mindset here is somebody who's has not yet booked a Royal Caribbean cruise wants to, and it's their, their really first time cruisers, what they should they know? Now, the first one, if you've listened to me talk or read my articles at length, you've probably heard me talk about this a lot. And I really think it's important, especially for first time cruisers. And that is to use a travel agent. Simply put, travel agents work to make your vacation easier on you and they're paid by the cruise line, not you for your business. At least any of the good ones are. If any travel agent tries to charge you fees for their services, you can just move on to the next one because they shouldn't be doing that. However, by using a travel agent, you just leverage their experience. The issue I think a lot of people don't realize is, of course, booking a cruise is easy. Go to RoyalCaribbean.com, look at all the information you want, pick your cabin, boom. I mean, you can be done in about three minutes, right? Uh, it, it's not a complicated process. The thing is, a lot of people who are new to cruising don't know what they don't know. And there's a lot of personal questions and issues that they may not know about. The most common scenario of problems I see new cruisers running into is they book a cruise and either they go on the cruise or they're about to go on the cruise and they realize that they need to do something. And this is a situation that could have been avoided or made a heck of a lot easier if they use a travel agent. Classic examples, booking the wrong cabin, right? They book a guarantee cabin, having no idea, by the way, that by saving a couple dollars, yeah, they're going to end up with a cabin with a blocked view or in a poor location right? Maybe they're booking a cabin and they have, you know, however many people in the cabin, not realizing that's going to be a very tight fit or that they could have done better with maybe two cabins that are connecting or perhaps moving up to a suite or perhaps some other option that would have saved them time, money, space, sanity, whatever the case may be. Travel agents really do a great job with that. And then there's the billing issues, especially when there's changes to be made. When you book your cruise, as I said, booking is really easy. Changing not so much. What if you want to add somebody, change someone on the reservation? What if you need to completely change your cruise altogether? There are so many different scenarios that can occur and are likely to occur, especially if you book your cruise many months or even years in advance, which by the way is what I recommend. 
it's just, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many scenarios people don't envision and then could have had their lives made a lot easier by using a good travel agent to help them with that. Whether it's a price drop, whether it's changing someone on the reservation, these are very common and travel agents really, truly make it a lot easier to, you know, make that all easier on you because it's not so much, you know, pick up the phone and calling. It's not only just, first of all, your time that you're wasting by doing that, rather have the travel agent do it. Second of all, there are a lot of nuances and, and ways around things and pricing promos and a variety of reasons why travel agents provide so much value. Now, listen, I'm an established cruiser. I've cruised on 70 some odd cruises now. I use a travel agent every single time. And it's not just because they're a sponsor. I really recommend them. When my family or friends who are not in the cruising world want to book something, the first thing I do is tell them to use a travel agent because I don't want to be their travel agent. I don't want to have to explain them over a text message why what they did was a mistake and they should have used a travel agent to book something. If I tell them up front, then they know about it ahead of time. I just can't explain effectively, I think, enough how valuable a good travel agent is for scenarios that you're not envisioning. If everything goes fine and great and there's no problems at all, no changes at all, sure, okay, that's there's a scenario in which you know that makes sense to do it on your own. But why? Number one, even if everything does go perfectly well, your travel agent could have saved you time in booking it. But more importantly, it's the long-term process that when I go to book another cruise, I just text my travel agent and be like, hey, I want to book the sailing. I don't have to tell them who's coming. Mean, I'll tell them who's coming. But I mean, they don't need to know all the pertinent information, credit card. They already know all that. It's already stored in their system so they can take care of it. It's a lot faster. It really builds. It's like a snowball. The first time you set everything up and then really it goes from there. But really, for first-time cruisers, there's so many issues and possible scenarios that I think a lot of first-timers run into that would really make their benefit greatly by having a good travel agent. So that is without a doubt, number one. Number two is I think it's really important for first-time cruisers to try to learn the lingo. If you've never been on a cruise before and, and you've made it to this point in listening to this podcast, which is great, by the way, you probably have already heard a number of terms, acronyms, and options that may seem unfamiliar. And it can be a little overwhelming because you have no idea what MDR, MTD, aft, forward, balcony, all these things. Uh, probably you don't know what balcony means, but you know what I mean? There's a lot of terms out there. And I feel like you don't have to become an expert on it. You don't have to learn every single thing. But the more you learn and the more you read about what, you know, a closed loop sailing is versus an open jaw sailing or, you know, what double occupancy means and why it's important if you're sailing solo or what, you know, who the friends of Bill W and the friends of Dorothy are, um, mustard stations, OBC, portholes. These are all important terms to understand. And so, like I said, I wouldn't spend like, you know, hours like learning terms and memorizing them as if you're going to have a high school spelling test. I don't know if they actually do spelling tests in high school, quite frankly, but <laughs> I would just say that, you know, things like single supplement, there's so many little phrases that are important. So it was really helpful to have that available. And if you don't know a term, if you run across a term, like you're going through everything and you're like, what does it mean that I have to tender to a port? Look it up. Because tendering is when you take a ferry that will take you from your ship to the port instead of you actually docking at a pier. Um, things like that, I think, are really important. Now, let's go back to uh, number three. And this goes back to ships because I think one of the biggest issues people have is with ships and what the right ship is for them. I, I think this might be the biggest topic that people who are new to cruising struggle with because there are... At you know, the time of this recording, there's going to be like 27 ships in the fleet with Icon joining, 28 when Utopia comes out there. So there's a lot of ships. There's a lot of classes of ships. 
And between each vessel, there are different amenities. You know, cruise ships are not like hotel chains, right? If you stay at a Holiday Inn Express in Miami, the Holiday Inn Express experience is probably going to be very similar to the same Holiday Inn Express in Hartford, Connecticut, Washington, D.C., you know, Boise, Idaho, and um, New London, Connecticut. I mean, it really just, they're more similar than they're not. Cruise ships have evolved a lot. And this if we had this conversation 25, 30 years ago, I think we'd have a much different conversation. But there's been so many upgrades and changes to cruise ships. And Royal Caribbean builds new ships. And Utopia of the Seas being the sixth in the Oasis class has radically different features than Wonder of the Seas that came out just before it or Allure of the Seas, or Harmony of the Seas. So one major mistake a lot of first-time cruisers make is assuming that all the ships are the same, or assuming that all the ships within even a class are the same. Oh, Matt told me I should book an Oasis class. Cool. I'm going to book any Oasis class. Well, there's a difference, because it, one of them doesn't have water slides. That'd be Allure of the Seas. You know, one of them doesn't have, uh, you know, a specific specialty restaurant, or an option on board, or an escape room. Wonder doesn't have an escape room, right? These are things that may or may not matter to you. But that's why it's so important to understand what each ship has and what makes it different. Because what's important to you may not be important to somebody else. And one of the, I've shared this story before, I am certain, uh, but I'll share it again. I was on Brilliance of the Seas, which is a Radiance class ship. And I was talking with a gentleman in the solarium and we're having a conversation about cruising. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I said, how are you enjoying the cruise? And he said, you know, I'm a little disappointed. I'm paraphrasing. I don't know exactly. This is many years ago. I don't remember what exact words were. But, you know, I'm very disappointed. Uh, you know, we were just on Oasis of the Seas, and this ship has, is nothing like that ship, so we're pretty, you know, upset about that. It's like, well, yeah. You know, a Radius-class ship is fundamentally different than an Oasis-class ship. You've got to understand what the ship offers and what it doesn't offer. Does it have a nursery? Does it have water slides? Does it have three restaurants, especially restaurants, or does it have five restaurants or seven especially restaurants? Those are important questions that may or may not impact you, but I think it's really important to figure out. So... That's definitely number three on my list. Number four is to book as early as you can. You know, a lot of people always want to know when to book a cruise. And I tell people all the time, I think I always say the same answer, which is book it now. Like book it immediately. Because whether you're booking your cruise three months, nine months, 18 months ahead of time, the earlier you book, generally speaking, the better the price is. It's kind of like airline tickets in a way, in that as people start booking up cabins and there's less inventory, prices go up, right? If you book your flight nine months out versus three weeks out, you're going to probably have a noticeable price difference. Same is largely true of cruise ships. Now, cruise ship pricing is very dynamic and does vary on some other variables that I, I did not mention here. So I don't want to make it seem it's quite that crystal clear and, and set in stone. But if at all possible, the earlier you book, the better your price is going to be. Prices tend to rise as you get closer and closer to your sailing. So waiting to book can actually cost you more. Now, there is such thing, yes, as a last-minute deal, but that is not what I would recommend for anybody to use as their vacation plan. As an example, you've got some time coming up, you'd like to go on a cruise with your family, right? And first-time cruisers tend not to be last-minute bookings, although they can be sometimes. But I think in most cases, you've got spring break, you've got summer vacation, Christmas, whatever. You've got this time of year in mind that, that, that you want to book a cruise and if you're thinking about it more than six months in advance, then I would definitely recommend booking it as early as you can. It will almost certainly get you the lowest price. You also have a much wider selection of cabins, which is really important, not only in category, but type. Um, you know, the, la the problem with last-minute deals is they're, they're an option. I look at last-minute deals as a way to augment my cruising experience. Like, you know, maybe it's like, ooh, look, 
there's a cruise coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I could book that and hop on a cruise much earlier than I thought. Not my primary plan to go cruising, but hey, this works out even better. And that's what a last minute cruise is good for. But in a lot of cases, there are last minute cruises that are available, but the price is terrible. And I see this all the time actually with my staff because we'll plan cruises and, you know, we, we brainstorm ideas and, you know, it's, it's hard to brainstorm ideas and then shelve them for like 12 months. So we tend with the staff to book maybe a little closer to the sailing. And I'll tell you, it, I definitely pay more for it because we're, you know, thinking three months, four months out and the prices are much higher, even though there are still rooms available. Royal Caribbean really does, I don't want to say penalize you for booking at the last minute, but prices definitely go up. So however you want to look at it, I really think it's so important to book as early as you can because um, even if you book seven or eight months in advance, that's still a lot better, almost certainly, than booking four or five months in advance. And these days, cruising is so popular again that, you know, ships are selling full. They're not going to be, if you're banking on like, oh, there'll be plenty of cabins left, uh, I'll have no problem at all. Even if you're right about that, I'm not even sure the price will reflect that. You know, the days of the bargain basement, last minute fares and fire sales, things like that. I'm not sure we'll see them outside of maybe like, you know, second week of January, first week of December, uh, third week in September, first week of October, those kind of times, which are historically low demand times. But even so, people are still booking out ahead. So it all changes. Next on my list, I have things that uh, people that are new to cruising uh, should know before they book a cruise. Let's check airfare prices. This has bitten me in the butt at least once or twice. That is, you find a great deal on a cruise, whether you book it eight months, 12 months, three months, whatever. You find a great deal, and then you realize it costs what to fly there? You know, maybe that's a European cruise. Maybe it's a cruise over a holiday. This is usually where this actually gets me more than anything. You know, it's a Caribbean cruise. Cool. We're going to fly to wherever, and we're going to go on this wonderful holiday cruise. And then you look at the pricing for airfare over the holidays, and, you know, whatever deal you got with the cruise fare uh, has been totally negated by airfare that's out there. So... I guess my best advice is before you hit the book button or better yet, before you talk to your travel agent to book the cruise, just double check that pricing and, and understand the nuances of it. Certainly holiday travel, I think is the biggest issue when it comes to airfare. If you're looking to do a cruise over Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, that's, I mean, spring break to an extent, spring break and summer are long periods. I mean, you're going to get like a week probably, but I mean, they, they, they encompass more than just one specific week, right? Christmas is always December 25th. Thanksgiving is always the last Thursday in November in the United States, right? It's like there, there, there are certain, um, there, there, there are certain patterns to that. And because of that, because it's so finite and limited airfare gets way higher than like summer, which ranges for many months, spring break, which can, is going to be higher, but you know, higher than maybe, you know, in May or late February, but still it's going to be higher. It's, it's just going to be, you know, a higher price in general. Um, you, you can play a game there. But anyway, my point with this is that if you are doing a holiday cruise, I would really recommend you check out the pricing uh, for your flights. Uh, maybe look at historical prices to get an idea. You don't want to go into this, commit to the cruise, pay non-refundable, and, and then be stuck with either paying crazy airfare or uh, you know fees for canceling or changing your cruise out there. So that's definitely a big one. And the last thing that I would say, and there's more than this, but this is like the biggies. Uh, is something that, you know, read a, read an old cruise compass. Um, and we do have an archive of them at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So the cruise compass is the daily newspaper that you get on board a Royal Caribbean ship. These days, it's really comes in the form of either the Royal Caribbean app and going through there. You actually get a digital cruise compass now where you scan a QR code. And then what used to be printed out gets displayed. You can still ask for a printout. But anyway, the point is automatically it won't appear for you. 
The important thing is by reading a past cruise compass, understanding what the line will offer you, or rather what the ship is gonna offer you on board that ship is really important. You might wonder why. Well, when you're considering between one ship or two ships or eight ships, whatever, looking at an example of a cruise compass from a past sailing gives you an idea, a really good idea of what you can do on the ship. This is a really important thought because I think a lot of people when they're choosing a ship have in mind this idea of what they're going to do. Yeah, certainly they're going to, you know, spend some time and go to the, you know, pool and eat wonderful meals. And yeah, you could do that on pretty much all the ships out there. But the difference is what are the other things that are going to fill up your time and what's really going to draw you to that ship? Especially if you watch a Royal Caribbean television commercial, all they do is show you the cool things. They rarely, if ever, show you the room. They show you all the cool things you can do. And so for that reason, I think it's really important to understand what you can do on a ship. And no matter how many sizzle videos and commercials you watch, until you actually see a cruise compass, it doesn't really give you an idea of like, okay, they're gonna offer this show twice a cruise. They're gonna offer this activity every day, or this venue is only open from this hour to this hour. Like, I think that's really helpful to have. So those are the important things I think anybody who is first time cruiser should know before booking a cruise. It's not the end all be all. I think there are things that you should definitely still know as a first time cruiser. But I really thought those items were like really critical, I think to at least setting yourself up for a, I guess, good <laughs> first cruise in terms of picking the right ship and knowing what you should know, that kind of a thing. Again, there's always more you can learn, but I thought from a core experience, this was super important. All right, friends, time to answer listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I dive into the email inbox and answer questions you've sent me. You can always send me your emails by sending them to matt at realcommunblog.com. First email is from Carmen from Iowa. I'm relatively new to cruising, but my fiance and I are hooked. We, book, we took our first cruise together right after college graduation on Freedom last year. We've been on two cruises since then, a three-nighter on Independence of the Seas and a four-nighter on Oasis. And we have five more scheduled. Disney Magic, Allure, Wonder of the Seas, Icon of the Seas, Utopia of the Seas. Uh, Wonder in February will be our first seven-nighter. I've noticed a weird phenomenon on our four-night sailings. I'm curious if you've heard of others experiencing this. When I got to bed on night three, I'm mentally ready to go home the next day. But when I get on, when I go to bed on night four, I'm not ready to go yet. My best guess on this cause is that I'm running at 110% for the first three days and don't start to relax until day four. Getting on a new ship is just so exciting. Maybe it'll get better as I get more familiar with the fleet. Then I won't feel the need to run at 110% in order not to miss anything. I'm just wondering if you've ever heard of anyone else experiencing this. Thanks for all you do. Your podcast makes it feel like our next cruise is never too far away. I definitely actually think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying here, Carmen. It's funny, a three-night cruise goes by extremely quickly, and yeah, that extra day of a four-night cruise really does make a difference, especially if the fourth day, or the last day everyone will look at it, is a sea day. It really adds to more relaxation, and it definitely takes some time to get into cruise mode. Uh, certainly, no matter what the length of cruise is, I feel like it takes, gosh, you know, two days or something like that, it depends on the person, to get into cruise mode, to really get into that, into that mentality, into that, you know, uh -huh. the, the nuances and, and the, the, the way you live on a cruise ship, like as opposed to basically doing the same thing you live at home, but on a cruise ship. Like when you first get on board, you're still doing the same stuff you would do at home, but now you're on a cruise ship. But as you get on a cruise ship, you start doing other things. Like here's some examples. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, alcohol is always a good example of everything. When you're at home, you might have a beer, you know, one beer, and you might have it in the afternoon or evening. On a cruise ship, 10 a.m., if you're not, you know, there's plenty of people who are already drinking already on a cruise ship. Not that that's right or wrong, it's just like, it's the cruise mentality, right? And there's a lot of those things I think that play into it. So I think that makes a lot of sense actually, 
where you kind of feel a little run down going into day three, because again, you've been putting pedal to the metal, trying to do everything, burning the candle at both ends. That happens a lot. And actually, it's really burning the candle at both ends, I think, that really does it. Getting up early, staying up late, and repeating that, especially with shore excursions involved, it will really eat at you very, very quickly. It's one of the things I've actually, one of the lessons I've taught myself over the years, and not that I actually follow it all the time, but is to try to say, you know what? Not only are there more nights on this cruise, so I don't have to do everything on this day, there are more cruises to come. This is not my only cruise out there. And you have five lined up, which is great. So you get that. There's going to be other opportunities. Now, also, Carmen, you might sound like maybe you're a little like me. I definitely have FOMO. I definitely have this like sense of like, you know, if, if we sleep in, we're going to sleep in until 10 o'clock, right? On a cruise, on a whatever day. I get FOMO, man. I wake up in the morning. Alarm hasn't gone off yet, but I start getting like itchy and antsy. I'm like, I want to get out of this. I want to get out of here. I want to go do something. We're missing out. That definitely occurs with me. And I don't know how to fix that one, quite frankly. But uh, you know what? You're on. You're definitely onto something there. It's not just you. Next email is from, from Suzanne. I'm seeking your advice. We're doing a side to side at Port Canaveral, which by the way, side to side is when you do a cruise on one ship and then do another cruise immediately after on another ship from the same port instead of a back to back. Anyway, I thought Royal Green did some kind of transfer between ships, but it seems I am wrong. Give me suggestions on what to do in between sailings. Will they let us in the terminal or will we be standing outside for hours? Any suggestions would be appreciated. Good question. Um, number one, I would check when you're on the first ship about a transfer. Officially, I don't think there is one. Like you can't like book it like ahead of time. But Suzanne, I have heard of many, many, many situations in which somebody was on the first ship, asked to get services about a transfer to, the, to, you know, to go to another ship at the same port on the same day. And that's not a problem. And they, I, I don't want to promise you that's the case, but I would at least wait to get on board the ship to ask about that. Well, let's assume worst case scenario, that's not an option for you. I would say this, number one, you're going to take a taxi of, or depends on the port, you're in Port Canaveral. Um, I'm not sure if you come back to the same port, if you switch between like Terminal 1 and Terminal 5 or something like that. Is if it's the same terminal, it's really easy. You just walk out and do that. But I don't think that's the case. So you're going to have to switch terminals. So you'll take a taxi of some kind to get over to the other terminal. You can drop your luggage off very early. I, number one, I would get off your first cruise as late as you can. Try to, you know, be walking off like 8, 30, 9 o'clock. Like, you know, they not, not to the point where they're calling your name to get off the ship, but somewhere along those lines. And then drop off your luggage. Port Canaveral is actually really easy. One of the few ports this is really easy for because there's a number of restaurants that are right by the port. There is, there are two that's jumped to mind, Grills and Fish Lips. I go to Grills for breakfast. I think Grills might be the only one that's open for breakfast. Anyway, go to Grills. It's in between Terminal 1 and Terminal the other terminals. You can't quite walk there, but uh, it, it's very close by. Have breakfast, take your sweet time. I mean, if you get off the ship at nine o'clock, take the time to take your luggage over to the other one and then come back to Grills for, uh, for breakfast, you should be back at Grills no earlier than 9.30. Take your sweet time at Grills, eating breakfast, have a drink. Let's call that an hour. That's 10.30, you're already there for boarding. So that could work. Um, and, and I think that's what I would recommend. I mean, you certainly could do something else, Suzanne. You could do like, you know, go to Kennedy Space Center or something like that. But I it sounds to me like that's not of interest to you. And if that is the case, then that's what I would do exactly. In other ports, it's a little more difficult. Like Port Miami, Port Everglades, they don't have stuff around there that you can do that you just basically have to go to miami you drop off your luggage and then go to um you know miami or fort lauderdale and do something and come on back uh next question is from david hey matt you made me chuckle with your comment that your friend from mei travel is cool and can even tolerate dave matthews band i'm going to their concert in west palm beach before i board harmony this season great start to my vacation Kristen at mei has been great she got us a great rate for our cruise on odyssey in march they had a block of cabins and almost $500 less than booking through Royal Caribbean and refundable. 
I also used her for my booking for my family for our cruise on Harmony. Never used a travel agent before, but you are absolutely correct. And uh, by the way, oh, before we get to the part of the email, David says, you know, this is a great example of this. Like you do all your homework. You can look up the cruises online, uh, but sometimes travel agents do have those special rates and it's crazy how good it can be to be able to uh, get those rates. And, and it's always a pleasant surprise. So again, if you never use a travel agent, you would never have that opportunity potentially to save some money. Our next email is from Laura Weiss. Hi, Matt. Thought I would ask an expert about a question I have. I've never cruised on Celebrity, but many times Royal Caribbean. When on Royal Caribbean in the casino, I charge my room for money that I want want on a machine and the money gets subtracted from my onboard credit. If I have $800 onboard credit on Celebrity, can I charge my room on the casino machines and zero out that onboard credit? Tried to Google it, but I'm weary of the answers and seeing some of the links are quite old. Do you have the answer? Please advise. Laura, good question. I On Royal Caribbean, the answer is yes, you can do this. Uh, I'm not sure if Celebrity is the same, my guess and emphasis on guess, Laura, is that it would be, but I mean, it would just seem strange to me that their systems would be that radically different, but I don't know that for a fact, Laura. So I don't definitively know, and I don't want to mislead you on that one. So yeah, hopefully somebody can uh, post in the comments on this episode with some advice there. Mina has our next email for us. We're going on Navigator this season in the fall with a baby and a toddler, and we're thinking of staying on our ship during some of the days, port days, for our Catalina Mexico cruise, since it seems like the activities are just for adults and not for families with young kids that we know of. We heard of golf karting, but found out we can't to have the two little ones. They need a car seat to be back uh, next to an adult, and there are only two of us. Are there any activities we can do with our kids on board? We know all about eating, and we've heard a lot about the splash pad. Just not sure what else we can do all together. This will be our first time traveling as a family of four. There's two things. Well, number one, I'll answer your question in a second, but I don't know if sure if you considered leaving your kids on the cruise ship. You can leave your, sh your kids in Adventure Ocean and the nursery while you're in port. And then you as the adults can go do something without the kids, enjoy that, and then come on back. Uh, in Adventure Ocean, there's no cost. In the nursery, it would be an hourly cost. We've done this a couple times. It's really easy, works out very well. That is an alternative you should consider. But number two, I mean, there are things to do in the ship. Sure, I mean, go hang out by the pool. I think that's probably the most important thing you could do because there aren't a ton of activities being held on board during a port day because most people are off the ship. So you certainly could get a seat by the pool deck, have the kids run their heart's content in and out of that splash away bay and, you know, do that. I mean, that's, what, you know, put them down for a nap in the afternoon and they'll be great. I mean, it kind of depends on your kids more than anything. Uh, the water slides, I think they might be, both of them might be too short for. So that's not really gonna be of interest for rider ditto. So, you know, I think it's really when a lot of people stay on the ship, they're primarily doing the water slides and, or sorry, the, the pool stuff. In addition, you could do things like, you know, go do trivia and some other activities held on board the ship, but there won't be a ton over there. It's really just about enjoying what's available on the ship with less lines. So hopefully that makes sense there, Mina. And our next email, maybe our last email today is coming to us from Rob from New Jersey. Love the show. I have a question about my upcoming Alaska cruise. We have an excursion that doesn't get back till 5.45 p.m. We also have early seating for dinners. This means we likely won't be able to sit in the main dining room when we get back. I'm sure we have to shower and change. It might be 6.45 before we get there. Should I make other reservations? Yeah, I would, I'm assuming you, you did early scene, yeah. I would definitely make other reservations. Um, this happens a lot, and I don't think that's a problem. In fact, heck, you might even consider, I don't know what time you're in Porto, maybe have dinner in your city that you're visiting. That might be a cool thing to do. So, uh, number one, the windjammer is always another option, Rob. You don't have to book the windjammer. You could just simply show up there, and that's always a good fallback. Number two, you could book a specialty restaurant. And number three, again, depending if you have enough time uh, after your tour, you'll, as in you're still docked there, you know, if you're in Juno, as an example, there's lots of restaurants in town. Just have dinner over there, you know, and have a little more local cuisine. Um, that, that can be a really great way to uh, make lemonade out of lemon, something like that. So 
Thank you, Rob, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Of course, you want to send me your questions, you can always do so by saying to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.